From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. We're at the end of a series called Back to School. Back to School, we've been looking at some basics of what we believe as a church and as local, as a local church and as Orthodox Christians, we've looked at things like the Trinity, that God is one God existing eternally and equally in three persons. We've looked at the Bible, the inerrant and inspired Word of God and its historical accuracy. We've looked at um, the church, the people of God called out to gather and, and do His work. We've looked at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, often, ref- often the forgotten person of the Trinity, even in Pentecostal circles. But even Pentecostal churches, we often neglect and forget the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is active and moving in our lives today. We've looked at humanity. Pastor Mitch shared on that, that we are created in God's image, but because of original sin, we are fallen in nature, yet we can be redeemed in Jesus. We looked at Jesus, that he is our Savior, that he is God's Son, and that he has come to redeem us. And then now we're in the end. We're looking at the end times today. And everyone went, ooh, yeah. Um, we're talking about this series, and this is, uh, I thought it was a good way to start the fall because what we believe will shape our lives. What we believe will shape our lives. And this has really just served as a framework, right? If you're looking at a brand new house when it's being built and you see the frames being put up, you can see the house take shape, but it's not the full house. This has really just served as a framework for what we believe. But what you believe about things like these will shape your life, they'll shape how you relate to one another. It will shape how you relate to church. It will shape how you relate to God. And at the end of the day, we can say that we believe these things all we want, but, but the truth is that, that our actions will prove louder than words. Am I right? And your life and what you believe is usually revealed through how you live your life. And so I pray that we become, as a church, people who show through the way we live our lives that we believe what the Scriptures teach. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray one last time and let's get into it this morning and believe that God's going to speak. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you're here this morning. And I pray that all of our hearts, including my own, Lord, would be open to what you want to say to us this morning. That you'd speak, you'd speak clearly. And even if I say one thing, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak what you want to speak this morning to each individual person. So bless, God, your word as it's shared, God, and bless those who hear this morning. Let us not just be, as we've talked about, just people who hear and say one thing, but let us live what your scriptures reflect in the name of Jesus. Let us live, God, what we say we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm, uh, I'm captivated by a good story. A good story just, just reels me right in, especially in movie form. There's nothing like a good movie to waste two hours of your life, am I right? It sounds like the most productive thing to do when you got two hours to spare. I, I love movies. I, I'm, I'm captivated by stories in movies. Uh, Jody and I, we, we approach movies very differently not only in what we like to watch, usually it's, it's, it's coming to some sort of middle ground that neither of us really want to watch, but we just do it because, well, it's not really what I want to watch, but you kind of like it, and it's not really what you want to watch, but you kind of like it, so we just kind of come together. But, but we watch movies differently, too. She's, she's always doing stuff while we watch movies, like she's sending emails and, and talking to people and, and asking a lot of questions. She's, she's face blind, just so you know, so she can't recognize faces very easily. So she'll be like, was that the guy that did this? I'm like, how do you not recognize? It's Brad Pitt. Everybody knows who Brad Pitt is. <laughs> I don't say that. We don't watch Brad. Maybe we do. I don't know. But, 
But she's like asking questions and doing stuff, and, and especially if it's an intense part. If it's an intense part, she's picking up her phone and is like, I can't, I can't watch right now. I gotta do something. I'm, I'm not like that. I'm like, I'm 100% engaged. I'm like, don't interrupt me. Turn the lights down. You know, you ask a question, I gotta pause and I gotta reflect for a second. We can't, I can't miss an, I gotta rewind because now I missed that part. Like, I'm just, I'm uninterrupted, zoned in kind of movie. And recently we just watched uh, this, this psychological thriller. You know those ones where you're watching throughout the movie and you really don't know how it's going to end and you're kind of trying to figure out throughout the whole movie like what's really happening and what's really going on? And then the ending, you're kind of just like, whoa. You ever know which movies I'm talking about? We just watched one of those and it literally left us like, whoa. And I don't know if you know this about movies and stories, but movies and stories have an end. They come to an end. I don't know if you've ever watched and been a part of a trilogy, a, a series of movies, and then you kind of get to the end and you're like, oh, you feel sad because the story's done. I was like that with Lord of the Rings. When the Lord of the Rings finally came to an end, I was just like, oh, I, I feel like a part of me is gone now because it's just done. Some of you have no idea what Lord of the Rings is. That's fine. It's okay. But there's a very clear, um, uh, very clear ending. And I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but as you read the scriptures, you see a very clear beginning. It's very clear in the beginning God created. You see a lot of in-between, which we spend probably the bulk of our time together as churches discussing and talking about and trying to figure out what that means. But there's an ending coming to it all. There's, a, there's an ending to the story. There's a very clear beginning, but it's clear that there's an ending. And that's the same for life, too. It's the same for our world. I don't know if, you've, if, if you feel like this, but it kind of just feels like our world's getting a little worse, doesn't it? And you look around the world, it just seems like things are going downhill, not uphill. You don't really hear, and maybe that's the way media presents things, but you don't hear a lot about the good things and the, and the, the, the progress. You, you just see a lot of decline. Like, politics just seems to be more and more extreme. Side note, don't forget to exercise your right to vote. Shameless plug. And don't judge those who vote differently than you. We can vote differently and still be part of the same family, Right? But politics have taken kind of a, in my opinion, it's taken kind of an extreme turn. It just seems more angry and more bitter and, and more divisive, right? And you look at our economy, our economy seems like a little bit of a yo-yo. It's like as technology kind of comes, there's less and less jobs and, that are there. And even the way we interact is a little bit different, right? The way we connect to one another just is different. We're less relational. Everyone's into texting now. I don't mind texts for short little messages, but don't try to have a conversation with me on text. I just don't have time for that. And how many are like, amen, I don't got time for text. Some of you are like, I, don't even know, I can't even make my thumbs work properly when I'm trying to text. Some of you are like a one finger, like, you know, all the millennials are like, come on, get, get with the program. But it just seems like, like things are getting worse. There's an ending to it all. And if you look at your life, your life has a very clear beginning. You were born at some point. You probably have baby pictures lying around, some of you. And some of you were very cute, and some of you were just glad you grew up, right? <laughs> I never saw your baby pictures, so that's just a general blanket statement, right? You can't, no, no offense. But you have a very, very clear ending. You have an expiry date. You will die. It's inevitable. You will die. Benjamin Franklin said there's two certainties in life, right? Taxes and death. And we like to hide death away, right? We like, to, we like to kind of put it out of sight because it's hard to deal with death. And I understand that. But it's inevitable. We will all die. We will all die. But do you know what will happen after you die? Do you know what will happen after you die? Because there's a lot of opinions out there. 
You could be like the naturalist who, who believes that all we are is a body without a soul, and then when we die, that's it. Not even black, not even darkness, because that is seeing something, right? There's just, you just cease to exist. Or you can be like the universalist who, who believes it doesn't matter what you do because everyone's going to go to heaven in the end, right? And everyone likes that idea because it's nice and it's kind and it's Canadian-like that we all end up in the same place, <laughs> right? But does it seem fair that the worst kind of people in the world, rapists and pedophiles and murderers, can go on without, they live their entire life without ever changing and be rewarded eternally? I don't know if that seems fair. Or maybe you can be like those who believe in purgatory, who believe that under the grace of God, there are those who will die and will still have to atone for some of their unforgiven sins. Like Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. So, so they got to spend a little bit of time in a place of torment until they pay that back, and then they'll get into heaven. Or maybe you can be like the reincarnationists, right, who, who believe that, you know, you're just going to come back and come back in a cycle of never-ending coming backness until you repay off your sins from the past and from the past. But I think about that. I'm thinking about, like, if I keep coming back, I'm just going to compile more and more sin and more and more baggage and more and more stuff, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to never stop. I'm just going to keep going. What do you believe? What do we believe? Is there another option? What do we believe happens in the end? What do we believe about the end? Because that will shape our lives. It will shape how you live. It will shape how you live today. It will shape how you interact with your coworkers this week. What you believe about the end. There's so much in this subject that I, I can address. I'd like to address as much as I can in this short talk. I'm going to try to cram some in, but I'm just giving you a framework this morning. Um, every human being kind of lives in the nexus of the, the new and the old. The end is here, but the end is not here. Right? The end is here and the end is not here. We're near the end of the story. We're like in the final chapter of that last movie in the trilogy of movies. Right? We've seen the, uh, the bulk of it happen. We, we kind of know where it's going, but we're, right, we're right, right there. The Bible has a term for it. It's called the last days. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many, time, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. In 2 Peter, or sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Sound familiar? We're in the last days. The end is here, but it's not here. We're in the times when Jesus said to keep watch because the end is coming. It's imminent. It can happen at any time. So what does the Bible say about the end? I have three points for you this morning. Three points. So if you're taking notes, you should take notes because you will forget this, but notes will not forget. They'll always be there unless you burn them up. Number one. There you go. Thank you. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. We believe death is not the end. I remember... Uh, a movie long ago, and some of you millennials will, may remember this, the movie Hook, the live-action Peter Pan movie, 
where Peter Pan grew up and forgot that he was Peter Pan, and then he realized he was Peter Pan, and in the end scene, he's facing off against Captain Hook in a sword battle, and Hook says, prepare to die, and Peter says this statement, that I don't know why, it just resonated with me as a child, he says, to die would be an awfully big adventure, because death is not the end. It's very clear throughout the story of the Bible that the end doesn't end with death, but there's more beyond it. Heaven and hell, according to the Bible, are very real. Eternal life and eternal punishment. And you see that if you read the New Testament, you see that very clearly. Heaven is real. But heaven, breathe for a moment, heaven is not where we will spend eternity. Contrary to popular belief, we do not spend eternity in some far-off place where we're separated from our body and the rest of God's creation. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not about to preach heresy. There are three heavens described in the Bible. The first is our immediate atmosphere where the clouds are and the birds fly. We call this sky. The Bible refers to it as heaven. There's a second heaven, our, the outer atmosphere where the place where the sun and the moon and the stars are. We call this outer space. The Bible calls this heaven. God creates these in Genesis chapter 1. There's another heaven, though, where is God's throne room. This is where Jesus currently resides at the right hand of God, with God and the angels. This is also called the third heaven. Now, most people, when we talk about heaven, refer to this, this condition or this place where people go to after they die and everything's perfect and blissful. The golf, golfer never slices, right? And the, the fisherman never misses a cast, According to the Bible, though, our eternal home will not be in the third heaven. We're getting a little theological. But we'll be on a new earth, a time and space place where we will live forever. Revelation chapter 21 reveals that. And the heavenly city, Jerusalem, will come down from heaven, from the heavens, and be on the earth. And the Bible says that God will dwell with his people. He will come down and dwell with his people. Let me read it for you just before you think I'm talking crazy. Revelation chapter 21, John the Apostle saying this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We will eternally live as persons with spirit combined with our resurrected body, flesh. Do this. You will have this in eternity. Perfectly suited for this perfect place. Picture the Garden of Eden. The whole redemption story is God bringing us back to what the original design was to be. It's not just this space that we just kind of, you know, there's harps you know, we're playing and we're, we're standing on clouds. Just so you know, if that's the image that comes to your head, because it came to my head for a long time, especially as a child, that's a Hollywood production. It's not a biblical production. But eternity is a physical place where we will dwell with God, just like God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they physically heard him walk to the point where they hid when they sinned because they could hear him walking. I can physically hear him with my ears walking. i got to hide. We will physically be in body and spirit in eternity. Now, let me, let me just explain this for you, okay? 
According to the scriptures, when we die as Christians, as believers, we go when we go to be with Jesus. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our body goes in the ground, decays a little bit, and that's okay. And our spirit goes and, and up and bees with Jesus. We are always with Jesus. If you are a believer right now, you are with Jesus. When you die, you will be with Jesus. And there will be a time when he comes back and he ushers in eternity brings us about a new body, resurrection, and we will be living on a physical new earth, the Bible says. Now, I just think this is beautiful. It's so amazing that there's no need for the sun because God's glory radiates enough. Physically, think about that. For me, this just opened up my world when I read this. Yes. It opened up my world because heaven was not just this thing. I can't even describe it, but it was something a little bit more tangible. Wait a second, you're telling me that I will be in a body? Yes, you will be in a body. Heaven is real. When Jesus comes back, we who have died, who are with Jesus, will come back with him. This is called the second coming, when Jesus rages war on evil once and for all, ushers in eternity, and then we live in new heavens and new earths. And he right called this the life after life after death. Because when you die, you experience the life after death. But then when Jesus ushers in eternity and he makes a new heaven and a new earth, you experience life after life after death. Heaven is a real place where God dwells. Eternity is the new heavens and the new earth where God's people will spend eternity. Hell is also a very real place. Yes, I'm going to talk about hell this morning said that Jesus talked more about hell than any other subject. I read that 13% of all Jesus' sayings are on hell and judgment. The descriptions of hell include fire, darkness, punishment, exclusion from God's presence, restlessness, the second death, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is described in the Bible where its inhabitants are eternally punishment. Now, a lot of debate surrounds whether or not we, we, we see this, whether or not we take this literally or metaphorically, but it's sufficient to say whether it's metaphorical, like it's a physical fire or not, that it's not a fun place to be, that it's a terrible place. Do you know what I think? When I think what really grips me about hell is the, is the absence of God's presence. Because when I think about a fire, I think of a bonfire, and I think of marshmallows, but think about the absence of God's presence. You were created in the image of God. Everything that you see around you, even when it's not going well, has the touch of God's creation. Imagine that not being there. That's hell. That's hell. It's not a fun place to be. It's real. It's terrible. It's where nightmares, I believe, are amplified and pain increases. Contrary to popular belief, Satan does not rule in hell. He doesn't have a throne room down there. He's not throwing a party for anyone who just wants to just not believe with God. Hey, come party with me in my hell. That's a deception and a lie. Satan does not go to and from hell. It's not like I'm just going to go home and recharge a little bit and come back out and torment. The Bible says that he roams the earth like a lion prowling. In the, in the, in the story of Job, God asked Satan where he was, and he's like, I've been going to and fro on this earth. Because Satan does not rule in hell. In fact, hell is a place that is created for Satan and the angels, the fallen angels. That's what the scriptures declare. That's what the scriptures teach. That hell is not a place that God created for people because he just wanted to do something with all these people who just sinned against him. Hell was a place created for Satan and his demons. 
That's why it exists. In the end, it says in the conclusion that Satan and the demons will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will be tormented day and night. But those who persistently reject Jesus are joined with Satan in hell. Those who reject Christ and his gift of salvation seal their own fates and are not granted access to heaven. Here's what it says. Jesus will say this to many. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah, this is where silence usually comes in churches because we don't like to talk about hell. And we don't like to talk about that part. But I was thinking about this. Is it really loving for me not to tell this? Now listen, the Bible is very clear. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It says this, 2 Peter verse 3 says, God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the consequences of sin is death, both physical and spiritual death, separation from God. And hell is the destination for sinners. Hell is where we're going without Jesus. And that is a very sobering thought. And believe me, I'm coming to a a, a point at the end with this that you need to hear. Hell is a very real, eternal, and terrible place. And our attitude with hell should be like the Lord's, that he does not delight in the, the condemnation, the death of sinners, but he begs them to turn from their wickedness. Ezekiel chapter 18. That's why we do outreach here, Parkway, in all shapes or form. That's why we do what we can do so that someone can come and hear the message of Jesus. I don't know if you, if you know of, of Penn Gillette, of Penn and Teller. He's a, they're, they're magicians. Penn's a, a bigger guy with a ponytail. Teller's the silent one, if you remember these guys at all. But, but Penn is an atheist who is a, is a strong or big fan of proselytizing, of evangelism with the hopes to convert someone. He's an atheist, doesn't believe in God. But he says this, he's like, if we, claimed, if we claimed to be Christian, and we claim that Christianity is true, how much do we have to hate somebody to not proselytize? That's coming from an atheist. How much do we have to hate somebody to believe that eternity is possible and not tell somebody about it? So at Parkway, I will not apologize for doing what we can so that somebody can hear the message of Jesus. Because if heaven is real and hell is real, People need to know about it. Well, why do we keep doing this for people out there? Because hell is real. Oh, it sounds like a lot of money. If I had more money, I'd spend more money on it. Because hell is real. Eternity is a long time. And heaven is real. And eternity is a long time. And I want everybody to experience it. Just like God does, he wants everyone to experience it. He wants everyone to come to that saving knowledge. And that's why the Bible says that he is patient. I believe, you know what, we're like, man, when's he coming back? Which we'll talk about in a little bit. When's he coming back? Oh, I think it could be any time. Do you know what? If he stalls and delays because somebody needs to hear the gospel, amen to that. And I believe he will. I believe he's waiting to the perfect time when everyone's had that opportunity, shape or form. Because he is not slow, but he is patient, wanting everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the attitude of God, and that is the attitude that we should take when it comes to hell. Real place. We need to do what we can so people don't go there. Amen? Heaven is real. Hell is real. Death is not the end. And don't believe somebody that claims to have gone there and come back in 22 minutes or less or whatever. I went there for 22 days or 22 minutes or 28 hours or whatever it is. There's only one man that came back from the dead, and his name is Jesus. Believe him and trust him. Number one, death is not the end. Number two, death is the end. 
Didn't you just say that death is not the end? Yes. Death is the end of existence. Death is not the end of existence, but, but after we die, our fate is sealed. Jesus told the story of a, of a rich man and, and Lazarus, a, a beggar. And after they died, the rich man who, who kind of lived a spoiled life, self-absorbed his entire life, went off to be with Abraham in, in a form of heaven, in a form of eternal heaven. And then, and then Lazarus, the beggar, went, or sorry, he went off to be in a form, a place of torment, the, the, uh, the rich man, form of eternal torment. And, and Lazarus, the beggar, went off to be with Abraham in a, in a form of heaven. And there was a great chasm between the two, and, and, and the, the rich man says to Abraham, he says, give me a drink because of the fire. He's, he's, he's desperate because of the fire, because of the flames, to, to quench his thirst. And then Abraham describes, because of the great chasm, he's like, this, this is not happening. We cannot give you a drink. It's not happening. And then he says, send, send Lazarus back to tell everybody. Tell my brothers. I got five brothers to tell them. And then Abraham goes on to say that they have the prophets. And if they don't believe the prophets, they wouldn't even believe someone like if they came back from the dead. But what it reveals in this story is that eternity is sealed the moment you die. There is no repentance in this place for the rich man. There's no, there's no exiting out of, out, of, out of Hades. There's no exiting out of hell. There's no coming out of this place. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, People are destined once to die and after that face judgment. A day is coming where God will judge the living and the dead. A day is coming where every single person will stand before Jesus as the judge. Not as the Savior, but as the judge. Judgment for Christians and non-Christians. We are all judged. Now, Christians are judged differently than non-Christians. The Holy Spirit has given Christians time, talent, and treasure. We have resources. We have abilities. We have gifts to be used for God's kingdom. And how we use those, um, we will be judged accordingly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is speaking to believers. So that each one of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus tells another story to illustrate this, another parable. He describes giving believers ten minas, which is just basically a large sum of money. And then, then the first guy who has, who has received this, when the master comes back, he had doubled it. And so, so he's rewarded with authority over ten cities. The second guy, he, he had gotten five more, and so he was rewarded with, with authority over five cities when the master returned. But the last one, who did nothing with it, didn't double it, didn't, didn't get any added to it, nothing, shows what someone who does not have a relationship with God is like. What they have is even taken away from them. And he shows this, and it says, it says this, the quality of our work, sorry, I'm saying this, the quality of our work as believers will be revealed and tested in the end, and only the work that survives that judgment will be rewarded. Believers are not judged and sentenced to eternal torment. We're judged and rewarded accordingly. What do you do with what you've been given? What do you do with what you have? Because when you stand before Jesus, he's going to look at that. He's going to place it in a form of fire. And all the stuff that doesn't burn off is, is rewarded. And the Bible actually describes there will be some believers, some Christians who everything we've done in this life is burned up because we lived it for ourselves. And the Bible says this, it says, if it is burned up, they will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Basically means as believers, what we do with what we have been given on this earth is judged accordingly. And if we do nothing with what God's given us and we live for ourselves, we just get in by the skin of our teeth. That's what he's saying. You get in, but you've got a back seat. You're standing at the back. You're like, I like the back. This is, not, this, is like, this is like the grass at a concert, right? Not even the grass. It's the parking lot. He's like, you can come in to the parking lot of heaven. 
But getting in the parking lot of heaven is way better than not getting in the parking lot of hell. But what we do as Christians with what we've been given is judged in the end. We stand before God and he says, what have you done with what I gave you? Can I just say that those of you who have money, that money is not for you, but it's for God and his kingdom. And those of you who have talent and abilities, it's not for you. It's for God and his kingdom. And those of you who have time, it's not for you. It's for God and his kingdom. Because at the end of the day, he's not going to be like, well, did you do what the pastor said? Or did you do what so-and-so said? Or did you do what you wanted to do? He's like, what did you do without I gave you? And I'm not the judge of that. And the board isn't the judge of that. And the church isn't the judge of what you do with what you, what you got. God is the judge of that. Jesus is the judge of that. I've given you time, talent, and treasure. And I'm coming back. And when I do, that's a spoiler, he's coming back. When I do, we're going to have a conversation about what you've been doing with what I've given you. Christians are judged accordingly to what they've been doing with what they have and rewarded for that. Now, non-Christians are judged differently than Christians. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's, God's wrath remains on him. See, those who refuse Jesus' gift, the refuse salvation, are judged according to that refusal. Their sin still remains on them, and they are held accountable for it. Instead of believing in Jesus and allowing Jesus to take the wrath of God that was on them and be poured on himself, the wrath of God still remains on them. Their sin, sin still remains on them because they didn't believe in the cross. It says this, John chapter 3, verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And to them he will say in the end, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And many will say, if you read the story in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives an illustration. Many will say to Jesus, well, when did we see you and when did you do this? And, but wait a second, he'll say, I don't know you. God knows everybody, but I don't know you intimately. I don't know you personally. We never spent time together. But I was really good and I had a nice way to pick a fence and I cut my neighbor's grass once. That's not what it's about. Like, I hope this is sobering because this is sobering for me. Like, if we're in a position right now of just like, oh, man, I don't like hearing this, that's good. I don't like these messages. I want a nice message. Yeah, this is a nice message because it tells you the truth so that when you go out here, you live differently or you approach people differently. Now, just like there are degrees of reward in heaven, we believe that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Jesus told the people in Capernaum that it would be worse for them because of their sin on the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember that story revealing different levels of consequences. So this doesn't mean that relatively nice sinners are judged and tormented equally with Satan. Not everyone in hell is a serial killer, but everyone in hell chose sin over God their entire life. The one who sins knowingly and willfully will receive a more severe consequence than the one who did not. See, both in life and in hell... Sin have consequences and different kinds of consequences. All sin is equal in the sense that it separates us from God. The white lie that I tell 
is equally separating as murder, but different consequences. I don't go to jail for my life for telling a white lie. I may get a slap on my wrist a little bit, but there's different consequences, just like in hell. There's different consequences. Death is the end in the sense that our fate is sealed and we face judgment. So let me just sum it up. It says this, death is not the end. Eternity and hell are real. Death seals our fate. Christians are judged according to their work and rewarded accordingly. Non-Christians are judged according to their sin and are condemned. So where does this leave us now? We're in the middle of the story. The end is here, but it's not yet here. Thank God. We're in the last days, and the authors of the New Testament said this because number three, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back with this. Number three, Jesus is coming back. The king is coming back. Jesus talked a lot about his return. He said to his disciples in John chapter 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. If you remember right before this, he says, in my house, my father's house, there are many rooms. And some of us get this image of heaven, right? Like, I'm going to have a mansion, and I'm going to have big stuff that God's going to give me. But this is actually wedding language that, that God uses, that Jesus uses. It's Jewish wedding language, and actually, he uses this to illustrate his return. Because in a Jewish marriage, there was a few things, four different things. Uh, there's first the betrothal where the prospective groom would go with his father to the prospective bride and purchase with the dowry, pay the purchase price. That was the betrothal. You know, Jesus on the cross purchased us. That was the betrothal. And that, when the, when the, when the, when the groom would go and do that with his father, make the purchase price, that would establish the marriage covenant. It's like, it's like the engagement, right? Will you marry me kind of thing, but with some money. That'd be great, eh? Will you marry me? Here's $1,000. <laughs> Jesus purchased us on the cross. That's the marriage covenant. That's the will you marry me. That's the getting down on one knee and says, I'm going to die for your sins. Will you marry me? Will you marry me? That's the betrothal. Second thing in a Jewish wedding, the groom would return to his father's house without the bride. And for about 12 months, give or take, he would actually build upon his father's house. He would physically build upon his father's house another room where him and his bride could live. So when Jesus says, in my, house, in my father's house there are many rooms, I go to prepare a place for you, that's what he's saying. That's what, that's what a Jewish man would do. Without his bride, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then what he would do is when he was finished preparing the place, he would come back at a time not known to the bride. The bride wouldn't know when the groom was coming back because the groom would come back when he's ready to come back when everything's prepared. And then finally, what he would do is he would take his bride when he came back at that appointed time, and they would return to the father's house where they would live. They would consummate the marriage, have a big feast for seven days. How many would like to feast for seven days? And then they would live together as a married couple. And Jesus used this to illustrate his return to his, his coming. That's, that's, that's the message of the gospel. He paid the purchase price on the cross. He betrothed. Will you marry me? Then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus ascended into heaven. He's with the Father right now. He's, he's preparing the end. And the Bible says that he's coming back, but we don't know when he's coming back. We're going to read it for you in a second, a scripture on that. We don't know. We're the bride, and our groom's gone to prepare the place, and we don't know when he's coming back. But he will come at some point. 
At a time we don't know, to usher in the end of life as we know it, and he will eradicate evil once and for all. He will judge the living and the dead and bring about eternity. This is what we believe about the end. What do we believe about the end? Eternity is real. Death is not the end. When we do die, our fate is sealed and we will be judged accordingly. But Jesus is coming back. Listen, there's so much more to the story. You watch a movie, I give you the plot line, but you gotta go watch, you gotta live the movie, right? There's so much more to the story. The rapture, the, the tribulation, the thousand year reign. Just for those of you who are like, you didn't mention this stuff, it's there. And a lot of people debate on that stuff. That's not my point today. My point is this. There is an end to the story. And what you do with Jesus will determine your end. What you do with Jesus will determine your end. What you do with what Jesus gives you will determine your end. What has he given you, Christian person? What has he given you? What time, what talent, what treasure do you have that God has given you? Because one day you will stand before God and you will be held accountable for what you have. And do you know what I think? One thing that we all have, we have people that don't know Jesus in our lives. We have neighbors, we have, we have family, spouses, kids, uncles, aunts, nieces, nephews. We have family that do not know Jesus. And if we believe the Bible to be true, and if we believe this, I believe this, how much do we gotta hate them to not tell them about it? Now listen, I know that some people don't listen. I know some people aren't ready. I know that it takes relationship. I know that it takes love. But listen, if you got someone that don't, won't listen, kill them with kindness and show them an incredible, ridiculous love that causes them to think, what do you have that I don't? Because hell is real, church. The end is real. Lives depend on it. How dare we not do anything about it? And listen, I, I get the whole, well, I, uh, I'm uncomfortable about that and I'm, I'm fearful. You don't have to go up to someone and say, hey, listen, can I tell you about hell because hell is real and you can go there if you don't know Jesus? Knock on the door. Will you listen to me preach for you for five minutes? That's not going to work in our society. But build relationships with people. Let, let God become a part of your dialogue with people. Like, you don't have to be like, can I tell you about God? Just be like, this is what, this is what happened in my life. I went to church today. You go to church? Yeah, I didn't know that. I went to church today. This is what they talked about. Oh, it was fun. We had, we, if we served, we were part of the dream team. We got some pizza. It was great. You know, we got this event coming up. You should come. Let it be part of your dialogue. What's, I'm, really, yeah, I'm really struggling with this idea of, of eternal life. What do you think about that? Have conversations with people. And then it won't be weird. And if it is weird, who cares, right? God, forgive us for not caring enough about people's eternal life. And listen, I get it. Someone's not going to receive it, and you got to dust the dirt off your feet, and you got to keep going. Pray for them earnestly. Because eternity is real. And I think one day we'll stand before God. And he won't just say, hey, what'd you do with your money? What'd you do with your time? What'd you do with your talent? What did you do with your neighbor who didn't know Jesus? Right, that's sobering for me. We should talk about, do you know why Jesus talked about hell more? Because he didn't want anyone to go there. Why should we, I don't know if we should talk about hell in church. We should. We should talk about eternity and we should talk about the cross. And listen, you don't have to tell people, believe this and vote this. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. I believe there is an end. Hey, someone says, hey, what do you believe? You go to church, what do you believe? I believe there's an end. And there's a man who said, I, I paved a way for you can spend eternity in bliss. And not just some far off place. 
a real heaven, a real earth. So here's what Jesus said about the return in the end. It says, about the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will return, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. See, the Bible says, and the Bible teaches that Jesus could come back at any time, and we don't know when that is. Any time. He can come back right now. He can come back this afternoon. He can come back when we're sleeping. He can come back in the morning. He can come back this week, which tells me a few things. One, if we have sin in our life, person here today, turn from it. Turn from it. If we got someone in our lives that doesn't know Jesus, pray for them. Reach out to them. Love them. If they won't listen to you, talk or you're really afraid to talk because you're an introverted kind of person, then, then show them incredible kindness. So much that, so much that they're like, I gotta, I gotta talk to you. I, what do you got that I don't? You, you must be Christian. Yeah, I am actually. Tell others about Jesus and live your life utilizing what God's given you for his glory, for his return and nothing else. That's what we believe about the end. So I was thinking this as we were coming to the end of this. How could we have a talk like this and not have a time of reflection and prayer? So the team's going to lead us in a song. And I kind of want to do a little bit different of an altar. I don't want you to stand necessarily. But I just want you to take time as they lead us in this final song. And connect with God. Maybe you have sin in your life that you need to confess. And ask for forgiveness. You got to get right with God. Maybe you've been caring a little bit more about yourself and a little less about those who don't know Jesus around and around your life. The team's going to lead us in the song. I'm going to ask them. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with Him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website weareparkway.com You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church